Welcome to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. My name is Anna Nupadier, and thanks for joining us. This is a podcast about rapid change in the legal industry. We'll focus on legal technology, knowledge management, law libraries, automation, and the business of law. On today's episode of the Modern Lawyer Podcast, I spoke with Karen Conroy, legal marketing consultant and founder of Conroy Creative Council. In this episode, we talk about marketing strategies for small and mid-sized law firm attorneys. Karen provides us guidance on how to create a prospective client-focused website, aligning website visuals with each firm's ideal client, and the demands of the modern prospective client operating in a world of limitless attorney options. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Karin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's a real honor to have you on. And I understand that you have a lot of perspectives and opinions on marketing that you're going to share with us today. So first of all, thank you. I hope so. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. So, Karen, I wanted to start out with just getting a sense of your backstory, you know, uh, where you came from all the way up to, you know, how you got into this line of work to what line of work it is that you're in to what kinds of things you do now. Yeah, that's a good question. I think my parents are still just kind of figuring it out. They're like, she does something online with computers. <laughs> so um, there, it is a little confusing. But my backstory, I started back in the way beginning of the internet. I was living in this beach town in Laguna Beach and going into this internet cafe to check my email. And I typed really fast because I had previously I had a history in the travel industry. And so I typed super fast. And the guy that ran the place was putting together all these websites and he wanted someone to help just kind of input the content. And so I was, he asked me to just kind of start typing things for him. And eventually he said, have you ever wondered how to put together a website? And so it kind of went from there. And I eventually started working there. And the beach town was all these kind of very small entrepreneurial type businesses, but, you know, very kind of wealthy people in their sort of retirement doing businesses. So I started getting a sense for how to promote these small businesses. And then eventually I got a corporate position with Century 21 and I was the director of marketing there for a bunch of years heading into the recession. So at that point, I was also getting my MBA. What recession are you referring to? Are you, are you referring to the, the one in the early 2000s or the more recent Great Recession in 09? The Great Recession in 09 that started out here in 07, 08, especially in real estate. So I was laid off along with my whole marketing team and most of the <laughs> real estate organization as well as everybody affiliated with that while I was getting my MBA. And so at the time, I had a bunch of colleagues and associates that knew that I knew how to put together websites and I had been doing it on the side. So I did a website for an attorney. He's kind of one of those very well-connected people. His site got out there. And because I have a design background combined with my MBA, it was unique. And he had a couple friends that asked him where he got his site. And so it started as a sort of side thing. And then it just kind of went from there. Then the combination of how it launched and took off is I grew up in Minneapolis and connected with these two guys who were starting this blog called Lawyerist. And they didn't have anyone talking about marketing. And so I started with them in 2009 as kind of one of their only marketing writers. And back then, the way that blogs and content were written, <laughs> so 
different from how it is now. Over and over and beyond that, Karin, I mean, how did realtors market themselves and how is that different from how you found and learned that lawyers market themselves? Yeah, I found initially that it was very similar because real estate agents are all independent contractors. And so they literally are creating their own business. All of their marketing expenses are their own out of their own pocket. So they feel it much differently than if they were part of a corporation and they were just an employee. And so they're literally creating sort of a sub business that where Century 21, they have an agreement where they can use the branding and the logo and all of that stuff, but they are their own business. Where I was, we had about 2,200 real estate agents that we had to create their own businesses for who were each competing with themselves. But then they would also look at the top performing agents and try to rip off all of their ideas. So it's very similar. I mean, that's just sort of like a human (laughs) way of marketing is what is the guy who's making the most money doing? And let me just do that. (laughs) Right. If I could just emulate his or her message, maybe I could get one fifth or one tenth of the success. Right. How can I make that much money without actually putting the work in? I would like to drive that fancy car and live in that fancy house, but I don't really want to figure it out myself. So I'm just going to copy and paste. (laughs) So that never worked. I take it around 2009 or so, you might have said this in your earlier response, but around 2009, you start translating these marketing skills and certainly tech and design and and web skills that you have from marketing real estate agents to marketing attorneys. I mean, is that right? Is that the time? Right. It started a little before that. It was, I was starting around 06 before I actually had kind of gone out on my own, but it went full-fledged around 09. What was the big kind of shock or surprise, if anything, to you (laughs) for how lawyers marketed themselves and maybe the sophistication in 2006 or 2008 or 9 with which lawyers marketed themselves? I think the biggest thing, especially at the moment, so I finished my MBA in 09 as well. And so I was totally swimming in that idea all those MBA marketing ideas. So the biggest thing for me was to realize how much lawyers do not have any sense of a law firm being a business and that a business has all of these things that need to be done in order for it to be successful, starting with a plan and all of those other things that they have no sense of. They have been taught none of this. So even just the idea that a law firm is a business is foreign. And especially back then, it's starting to become a little bit more normalized. But back then it was really not, you know, it was, it's different language. You don't even call it a business. You call it a firm. You don't call them customers. You call them clients. I mean, so even, you know, at the very basic level, they're kind of taught that it's not really a business because it's called different things. Right. And, you know, we're often taught in law school that it's not a business, it's an art or a profession. Yeah, that's distinguished from a business. And you kind of view yourself as like this noble warrior or something, right? But yes, you could could do that. But ultimately, there's the bottom line concerns, right? Right. And I actually use this a similar sort of blurb when I'm talking to firms a lot where they're worried that I'm going to be too artistic. And they don't really know how to ask the right kind of questions to figure out if I'm the right person for them to hire. And so I talk about the difference between being a designer and being an artist, where an artist doesn't have a customer and they don't have a client. An artist 
can't fail, whereas a design can absolutely fail. And a lawyer can fail as well. I mean, you can not win the case or it cannot go the way that your client wants it to go. And so art is totally different and has no level of failure, whereas design should have a purpose. It should have a goal. It should be measurable. And I feel like law is similar. And if you don't meet those goals, it fails. And so I talk a lot about that to clients where they get these hoity-toity designers that they've talked to in the past and they get up on this very big soapbox talking about the art of design and branding. And there is art ideas there, but it's, it's not the same as art. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So take us all the way up to today, Karen. I mean, what kind of work yeah. are you doing today? You know, what do you have on offer? And what are attorneys going to your business to try to achieve? Well, it's come a long way because it used to be, I, I think people think that websites are very simple. And it used to be that people thought they were really complicated. And technically, it's actually the reverse. They used to be much more simple, and now they're much technically more complicated. But there's all these platforms that have come out where people feel like they can DIY their website. From my perspective, what I'm usually trying to promote and suggest is that anyone can put up a website, but then what? You know, so what happens after you have that website? What is it doing? What are your goals? What's the strategy? What are all these things that you're supposed to be, all these different pieces, and how does it all tie into your bigger strategy for your firm and your goals and all of that stuff? And those are the pieces that I try to fill in for my clients, where they come to me and they don't really understand how to put all those pieces together and make the bigger strategy and then also make the website work and have it have actual functions that lead to a goal so that we can put together a roadmap where at the end is X goal. And it's very different for every law firm. Not every law firm necessarily wants their website to have 5 million visitors every single day. So different law firms have different paths to achieve different goals. Who's your primary clientele, Karen? Small to mid-sized firms. I'd, I'd say we go anywhere from one to 60 or so attorney-sized firms. Do you typically go out and find these firms, maybe just trying to uh, sort them by how lousy their current websites are? Or do you no. typically get inbounds that say, hey, we'd like to dial up X metric and y, or Y metric? And if so, what are those metrics yeah. they're, trying to, they're trying to dial up? No, I tried cold marketing once or twice over the last 12 years, and it never, never works. It's just a complete taking a bunch of money and lighting it on fire. So that doesn't work at all for me. I literally just wait for clients to contact me. And the metrics they're typically looking for have to do with their reputation and validating that they are who their experience says they are. So that's a complicated thing. I mean, it sounds like, oh, okay, you know, you just talk about all the things you've done, but visually combining visual messages with text messages and the whole layout of the site and putting all those technical pieces together is really complicated and figuring out how to do it so that it's subtle and it's not this obnoxious lawyer walking out of the screen trying to talk to you and sell at you like a used car salesman. So. It's a complicated, subtle 
science to figure that stuff out. That makes sense. What messages have you seen work and what messages have you seen fall flat? Well, fall flat is when it's all about them. So just kind of going back to the used car salesman idea is it's always just off-putting and just kind of creepy where it's all about the attorney, all about them. That just never really works. I shouldn't say never. I suppose there are a few tiny people here and there who really need that kind of approach. But for the most part, that's not successful. What works is that you need to focus on the clients, make sure that you solve their problem and that they know that you solve their problem. So when they land on your site within three to five seconds, they should know they're in the right place. So it is usually this gut check that is hard for sometimes even the attorney to explain why it's working. And for sure, the client doesn't necessarily know what just happened, but they're like, oh, okay, this feels right. You know, this this feels like my guy or my girl. And it's visual combined with messaging, combined with making sure that you're answering the right questions. What are some of those visuals or messages that actually makes a prospective client go onto the website and say, I've found my lawyer, you know, this, this person is going to go to bat for me and I think they could get the job done. Well, to go back to your last question, what it's not is there isn't one golden ticket. I've had clients say, okay, I'm not sure where you're going to start, but what do you think of the color blue? And it's like, uh, pretty. I don't know. I mean, sometimes it's nice. I mean, so it's not, there isn't just one set of rules that a law firm needs to follow and you need to set up your website in Times New Roman font on this size and whatever. What you do need to do is know who your clients are and know what their problem is and know how you can solve that. So if you are an estate planning attorney and your clients are typically, let's say, baby boomers, and the problem that they're usually coming to you for is a will or maybe it's more specific than that. Maybe you work with families that are setting up estate plans for their disabled children or something more specific than that, which is always ideal because then you can talk specifically to, you know, the more specific you can be to your audience, the better. So first you have to figure out who they are. Next, you figure out what their problem is. Then you figure out how you typically respond to that and and what kinds of messages they want to hear. So this is all coming from your own experience knowing those clients. This isn't something that I'm going to tell my clients when they call me. I'm going to sit with them and have them tell me who they typically work with, what kinds of problems those people have. I don't know what's happening in their law firm when they sit down with their clients, I don't know what their clients are asking, what kinds of questions they usually lead with. I don't know if they're more concerned with budget or if they're more concerned with how long this is going to take, or I don't know what their concerns are, but the lawyer should. And then visually, you just need to answer those questions. So the first thing is, if your big message is, we solve X problems for Y types of people, And let's say you're an estate planning attorney that works with families that have disabled offspring that are, they're trying to set up a plan for them or something. Then the visuals should align with that. They shouldn't be a visual of like a corporate building where people are sitting around a conference room, having a big, important 12 person corporate meeting. That's not right. There is a wrong answer, but the wrong answer is different for every law firm and every type of client. 
What kind of tips can you give an attorney who is a solo attorney that's just starting out? So they just hung their shingle. The joke among a lot of solo and small firm attorneys is that we practice door law, right? We'll take any case that comes through the door. <laughs> they don't have a set client focus at that point, right? They haven't even had a chance to develop that. Yeah. What advice is, as a legal marketer would you provide to that group of people? Well, there's probably an angle that they're wanting to work in. And so maybe there's, I talk to a lot of people, whether they're brand new or not, that have been working in a certain practice area or certain types of case, and they're trying to move towards a different type of case where maybe you're brand new and you graduated yesterday. And that's similar. You've been practicing in law school. <laughs> you don't have any experience and you're trying to move towards the other side of that with experience. So the first thing is that you have to pay your bills. And so you, you do what you can do to at least get those clients in the door. So you have experience that you can speak to so that you can at least say to your next prospective client, well, I worked on a case doing XYZ. And if you have zero experience and you're coming out of law school, at least you can say, I'm familiar with this type of a case. I learned about XYZ. And you can kind of try to twist the things that you know and learn in law school to make them relevant. We shift our conversation to something that I thought was very interesting. One of the things that, that we discussed was the changing consumer of legal services. And this is a change yeah. that I think has happened just in the last 15 or 20 years, which for such a kind of core thing to change is, is pretty shocking, right? But I mean, this is what we're attempting to do on this podcast, you know, address rapid change in the legal industry. And you know, I, I think you have a lot of interesting points on how the legal consumer himself or herself has changed. How is the legal consumer of 2019 different than the legal consumer of 1999? Well, I don't think they even really, I don't even know if legal Zoom was a thing then. I don't know if they even had a website, but, you know, I don't think the idea of do-it-yourself websites was really as widespread as it is much less do it yourself everything. I mean, I think everyone expects this very high, quickly, rapidly changing technical world where everything is available immediately. I mean, you can order something on Amazon and I get stuff on the same day. I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing versus also being able to evaluate and make decisions based on reviews that are out there like Yelp and also Amazon, but getting information from all these weird different places that never used to exist. So getting ideas and thoughts about where the right places to go are off of social media, things like that. So that never even existed before. And people are just so quick to just click and figure things out on their phone. And they will not sit around and wait for a week between the time that they initially contact you until the time that you finally get around to replying to their message. So I think the short answer is that it's just everything is at crazy rapid pace and you have to try to keep up with that. And customers in general are expecting that kind of a response. What has the change been with respect to what messaging and marketing legal consumers in this sector of small and mid-sized law firms expect? You know, you mentioned at one point that 
20 years ago, having a law firm page or a law firm brochure that really was just a kind of bread and butter of the marketing in that era could be something like, you know, we're a 15 attorney law firm. This is where we went to, to law school. This guy was the editor yeah. of the law review and this person uh, won this trial a while back. That just doesn't cut it anymore. Why is that? And no. what, does that, what does that tell us about the expectations of the modern legal consumer? I think it's a bunch of different reasons. I think number one, marketing itself has changed to be more client-centric. Everyone is sitting there looking at a screen all of the time, and they expect the whole world to be all about them. I expect my screen to know my location, to know potentially what I clicked on before I got to that site. And I expect my phone to be able to plop in my address and my phone number for me without me even having to type. I just kind of have this expectation of things just happening for me without me having to do anything. So number one, I think the technology has just made it where, you know, I don't want to say that we're lazy, but (laughs) we're kind of very client centric, which is another nice way of saying that we're just very selfish and sort of thinking about very egotistical. But on the other side, I think that has made us very skeptical and the kind of advertising and marketing that used to work. I mean, if you look at the ads from the seventies and eighties and even, you know, the beginning of the nineties, they were very basic, just kind of, this is the product. This is how much it costs this is where you can buy it. And people just are very skeptical now about questionable marketing and advertising. So an, a firm just kind of putting up their credentials and their bio it's, that's just not going to sell people anymore because they just kind of think, well, maybe they're lying about it or, you know, maybe you know, that just doesn't really make the full connection to convert that person to make that call or make that email. So you have to make that connection for them. You have to show them, step them through the process and say, okay, now I need you to click on this button and this button is going to call my phone and then we can have a conversation about what you need. But they need to be stepped through that process. And it's a place where a lot of firms are still really missing the boat where they just think that they can sit back and wait for the phone to ring without taking people through the process of that client journey that I'm, I'm saying that with sort of air quotes. It's like that's such a common term right now, like getting people through that journey through your website. Now, 30 years ago, I'd imagine that if you needed an attorney for something like estate planning, you better hope that maybe there's a, an attorney in your family or a friend knows an attorney or yeah. somebody down the street and you could just kind of knock yeah. his or her door and say, hey, these are the services I need. Can you do them? Can you give me a referral? Now, of course, we have Google. It's in our pocket. It's on our computers. And at any point, we can conduct some research on an attorney that is near us that can do exactly what we want to do. How has that changed the requirements for how lawyers and their firms should talk about themselves and should approach marketing? Well, you know, my first response is that it hasn't changed 100%. I mean, I think that there are plenty of firms who put way too much weight in their online marketing and forget that there is offline marketing as well. So you still do need to be out in your community and making your own reputation and building yourself as a lawyer by your own work and expertise and all of that other stuff. And your website should be one piece of your whole marketing arsenal. And so it's not the end all. There is no one piece that will fill all of those buckets. And so if 
I talk to solo attorneys who I oftentimes they sound kind of introverted, like they just want to sit in their office and type away and not have to go out there and interact with, you know, real people. And that's probably not going to work. I mean, in certain practice areas, maybe, but in most practice areas, you do have to have a number of just traditional referrals through the community and things like that. So you need a combination of different types of funnels of, of business. And one is your website. One is maybe like an email marketing campaign. One is the referrals. I think there's probably still firms out there using the yellow pages. I don't know. But your question was like, how has it changed? I think it has changed significantly where people need to be concerned with their reviews and the things that are being said about them online and how they're presenting their website and stuff. But at the same time, I feel like it's important to make sure that they're keeping all of those other pieces in check as well. How should attorneys use social media from your perspective as a legal marketer? I think very cautiously. I think there's a lot of attorneys that waste some time on social media. For the most part, I don't see a lot of success on Facebook, but then having a conversation yesterday with a firm and I started to say that and she said, oh, that's been a great resource for us. There's exceptions to every rule, but overall, like every other marketing thing, you have to put yourself out there, make sure you're advertising and promoting the right type of message so that you're being a resource and you're being helpful and people find that you are useful, but also consistent. So whatever platform you choose, typically I see LinkedIn, Twitter, maybe Instagram with certain practice areas, and then maybe Facebook. But whatever platform you choose, be consistent, make sure that you've got a regular presence that sounds as human as possible, where you're interacting and creating conversations and being memorable and just kind of doing what you would do in person if you could attend a whole bunch of different kind of networking events all at the same time. What do you see as messages that have worked for solos or very small firms, you know, two or three attorney firms versus mid-sized firms? We're talking over 25 attorneys. How are the marketing needs of those firms different and how do you respond to those differences? I think so the smaller firms can talk a lot about the personal attention and the one-on-one attention where you're going to work directly with me and I'm going to go to bat for you and you know you're not going to have to deal with associate or my assistant or you know whatever the case may be I hear a lot about their approach being like David versus Goliath so we're the little guy and we recognize that and our prices reflect that as well but we're going to take them on and a lot of times I will be talking to attorneys who are leaving a bigger firm so they can say things like, I have the big firm experience, but at the little firm rate, things like that, that's different. That, that message is very resonant with me. I mean, you know, we talk about this a fair amount on, on this podcast, but one of the challenges of big law and, you know, their extremely high rates is justifying those rates. And if you're a small yeah. regional business and you want to work with a big, big firm, I mean, a lot of folks can understand why a mega company, you know, Walmart, Mercedes Benz, you know, Fortune 50, Fortune 10 company, whatever, would work with a super large firm. But if you just need to work with a couple lawyers out of one office, why wouldn't a firm made up of those couple lawyers who are no longer at the big firm be just as good? Right. And I feel like as a small business, I can really recognize how important it is for me to have someone who cares. 
if I'm working with a mid-sized firm, I feel like there's a higher chance that I'm going to get lost in the shuffle and they may not see my issue as important as I do. Whereas a smaller firm, especially if they're newer, they're going to find it more important than some other person who is just kind of coming in and it's one of 75 things they're doing that day. Having someone who actually really cares and feels like they're, they're, they have more skin in the game matters a lot too. Have you ever been approached with a marketing idea that you just dismissed out of hand that you just said, you know, this is not going to work. We're, you know, go, you know, we're, we're going <laughs> to the drawing board together. If we go forward on this, it is not going to work. And, and if so, what comes to mind there? Yeah, well, two things come to mind. The first one is not quite the right answer to your specific question, but I've had people approach me and say, we really like X website that you did. Can we just put our name on it and you'll do it the same exact thing for us? I just shake my head and it's like, okay, I, I get your idea there. But my answer is always, I will take what made that website successful and do those ideas for you. But of course, we would never just copy and paste that for your firm because your firm is different and, you know, whatever. So I go down that road. The other thing that happens quite often is with imagery. And I have this conversation probably three times a week where they talk about talking to a potential or a current client. We're talking about how to choose the right images and find the right things, especially when we get kind of past the, the big images on the home page, and we're just kind of trying to fill some images on the secondary pages and things like that. And their immediate ideas are usually the worst because it's like the most obvious, most cliche, worst possible images. I had a client who, this is the story I tell to everyone. I had a client and he was a criminal defense attorney and wanted pictures of police tape and handcuffs and just all of the worst things that are happening to these people when they come to seek a criminal defense attorney. And so I went through my usual spiel and I said, listen, they want to know that you are going to get them through that time and that you are going to be the light at the end of the tunnel and you are going to be compassionate and care about not the handcuffs, but what happens to get them out of the handcuffs and all of those kinds of things. But let's talk about how you can solve the problems that they're in. And he went with the handcuffs and the police tape. And within about three years, he was going back to being a prosecutor and shutting down his firm and all of that stuff. Like it just didn't work. And I've seen that kind of thing happen over and over. I can see why that would fail. That is a real... <laughs> Interesting anecdote. The last thing I need if I was in that position is intimidation and, or, you know, recalling that. I think more soothing imagery, uh, it would have been the right call. Yeah. Karen, I really appreciate you joining us on the podcast. You've talked a lot about interesting ideas on messaging, changing consumer behavior. I think our, our audience would really appreciate that. So, Karen, thank you again for joining us. Awesome. Absolutely. I was so glad to be here. Thanks for listening to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. We always love hearing from you and we highly value your feedback. Reach out to me at onin at casetext.com, tweet at us with the hashtag Modern Lawyer, and check us out at modernlawyerpodcast.com. We hope you join us for our next episode. Special thanks to the Case Text team, especially our producer extraordinaire, Abby Hadidian. See you soon.